Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today, I'm joined again with Dr. Federico Santangelo. On June 6, 2021, Dr. Santangelo joined the show, and we had a conversation about the former Roman consul, military commander, and dictator, Sulla. Dr. Santangelo joined the show again on June 15th, 2021, and we had a conversation about the Roman consul and military commander who had certainly had interactions with uh, Sulla and vice versa, Marius. In today's episode, Dr. Santangelo is back on the show, and we're going to have a conversation about the social war, a war that took place on the Italian peninsula in the first century BCE. Dr. Santangelo is professor of ancient history at Newcastle University, based in the UK. He has written many publications over his career, including contributing a chapter to the book, The Peoples of Ancient Italy. And this is relevant to this conversation because the chapter was on the social war. He's also written books. Uh, A book, as an example, is Marius, which was published by Bloomsbury, in which he authored. Welcome back on the show, Federico. Thank you very much, Andrew. Wonderful to be back. Yeah, it's great to connect with you, as always, Federico. So, as you know, I typically ask very broad uh, overview type questions. So let's uh, let's continue with that. <laughs> so what? So to create sufficient context and background uh, for the, for the conversation um, that we're going to have today, Federico, uh, and then we can work our way into the details. What was the social war? The social war was uh, a major military conflict that took place in Italy, in the Italian peninsula, uh, between 91 and uh, 88 BC, so that's trickling into 87 to some extent. Um, Major military conflict, and perhaps we should start from from the name of the war itself, shouldn't we? Uh, Social war would quite rightly, quite fairly, lead sort of a modern observer to think that it's, uh, you know, it's about class struggle, right? It's about, it's a war about... um, to social groups, uh, two or more social groups, uh, facing each other um, and taking on each other. Well, it is not. <laughs> it is not. Uh, the social war is called the social war um, because in Latin it was typically, not always, uh, but typically referred to as the bellum sociale, i.e. the bellum, the war against the allies, against the socchi. Now, which allies are we talking about here? We're talking about the Italian populations, or at least some Italian populations, some Italian communities that were previously uh, allies of the Roman people, and that at some point in the late 90s of the first century BC uh, form a military coalition and take military action against Rome, right? So it's a war that at some point the Romans, or at least some people in Rome, name the war against the Allies, the war of the Allies. Um, and uh, and that's how it uh, went down in, in history, although some ancient sources actually uh, talk about it, uh, refer to it as the Marsic or the Marcian War, uh, the war against the Marsi, who were population uh, based in, uh, in central Italy, in this Apenninic heartland of central Italy. Anyway, the social war, the war between Rome and her Italian allies. Okay, so let's, let's uh, begin unpacking this, Federico. So 
Can you can you speak about so it's uh, late in the the nineties um, BCE BC and uh, can you describe so there's Rome and then you mentioned there's um, some other um, I'm going to use the term state there could be a, a more appropriate term uh, f- um, for the different um, for the different groups or it could be ver- versions of but can you can you describe what the lay of the land was on the Italian peninsula in terms of all these um, sovereign uh, uh, entities uh, coming up to the the, uh, the the social war that were involved in some way? Yeah. Well, I suppose when we think about the world in uh, the Mediterranean world, uh, in, uh, uh, say, 100 BC, right, uh, we think of uh, a Mediterranean world where Rome is the hegemonic power. Right? the dominant political and, and military power. And that is undoubtedly the case. Um, if we then zoom down um, onto the Italian peninsula, Italy, then again, Rome has been the dominant power there for, well, well over a century. Um, in fact, it was already the dominant power in Italy before the coming of Hannibal in the, in the mid-third uh, century BC. It is even more emphatically the dominant power after the um, victory against Hannibal. But if we then start looking at the terms, the the specific terms of that hegemony, of that political and military supremacy of Rome, well, then we start discovering something rather interesting. Uh, We discover that actually the Italian peninsula, and the same applies to the Mediterranean world more broadly, but let's stick to Italy for now, the Italian peninsula is a world of independent communities, of self-governing communities. Many of them, most of them are cities or towns. Some of them are smaller, looser settlements, but are nonetheless self-governing communities that have entered, typically after a military defeat or a series of military defeats, but have entered legal arrangements, binding legal arrangements, typically treaties, with Rome, right? That place them under a set of uh, legal obligations and uh, that compel them to um, provide Rome with uh, um, military support, both in kind and uh, in in men, that's a manpower, ahead of the many campaigns that Rome uh, fights across the Mediterranean world. So if we start looking really at the situation in Italy, uh, say, 10 years before the start of the social war, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at uh, hundreds of uh, self-governing communities that uh, are mostly um, running their affairs as self-governing entities, but that are bound to Rome by very stringent and fundamentally unequal uh, legal arrangements that are a direct consequence of uh, the military victories obtained by Rome um, across the peninsula. Thank you. Yeah, the, the you, you probably heard my reluctance over the term uh, uh, state and uh, and I, the, the term communities, and maybe there were, were some, again, maybe there were some states that, and, and at this point, you get into definitions, which can be arbitrary at that point, but I really like the term communities as well. Um, coincidentally, and we 
before we started the show, I'd mentioned this uh, to you. I'd covered a recording session on the ancient Illyrians um, yeah. with uh, Dr. Daniel Gino from uh, Macquarie University. And, and that was a term that came up as well in that context was the uh, communities came up a lot. Um, in that yeah. context. So I like that. Okay. So, so, so we'll use that or we'll weave in, in and out. We'll see, we'll see how the conversation goes between, between the different terms. Um, okay. So what, what was, what was Rome's aspirations around, around this time? Can you speak from Rome's perspective? Like, like what, uh, and, and then, and then, you know, we probably want to, I, I want to cover the, you know, other, other perspectives as, as, as well, because this is a, this is a, this is a war that involved more than one, one party, but let's start with, with Rome, like what did, what did, what, what was their, what was their aspiration that you believe was causing the, 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 the tension between them and, and various groups? Hmm. Well, I suppose it would be perhaps best to speak in terms of aspirations, um, or perhaps it would be worth briefly unpacking what we mean by Rome, uh, in that um, Rome is a very divided community. Is a, is a very it's a bitterly divided place, uh, pretty much throughout its history, certainly throughout its republican history, as it were. Um, and actually, you, you get pretty much at any point in time, I think, very different views within the Roman <clears throat> governing class, but more broadly across the political community on how things should be handled, on how things should be conducted. And we, we sometimes, you know, tend to go for the view that Rome wants one particular thing or has one uh, coherent set of aims and objectives. Typically, actually, things are, are, are rather more rather more fraught. Um, and, uh, um, and what you're actually looking at is, is, is a number of competing and sometimes clashing agendas. But if we, again, look at the specifics of what the landscape, the political landscape wants, like in the sort of late second century, early first century BC in Rome, uh, then I suppose we are going back to some of the issues that we um, had a chance to discuss, Andrew, in in uh, in, uh, in our previous podcast on Marius. Right, mm-hmm. so we're looking at a at a community, Rome, uh, that certainly has a hegemonic role across the Mediterranean, um, but that has actually been facing some major strategic um, challenges in recent years. Uh, in the late second century BC, uh, Rome uh, had to face a major military threat from the north. The Cimbrians and the Teutons um, invaded southern Gaul and indeed northern Italy, and uh, required that invasion required major military action. And of course, the, the, the central figure in that counteroffensive, a uh, very complex and, and, and demanding one, uh, was Gaius Marius. And of course, you. You know, we discussed the, the, the series of consulships that he, that he holds and then the, the, the whole issue of how we need to uh, provide for the, for, for, for the needs uh, or at least the expected rewards um, uh, of, uh, of his veterans and the political crisis that that generates. Um, so Rome really, uh, in the first decade of the century that we call the first century BC, um, is, to a large extent, coping with the aftermath of a major military undertaking uh, and uh, um, with the aftermath of a complex political crisis that unfolded in the years 199 uh, BC. Um, and is not really pursuing any, any major military undertaking uh, in, uh, elsewhere in the Mediterranean. 
Okay. What, uh, however, is uh, becoming an increasingly significant issue in Rome uh, is precisely the problem of the relationship between Rome and Italy, right? between the city of Rome and uh, the much wider, bigger constellation of cities, of communities, of polities. We can even say states, provided we know what we, or we think we know what we mean by state. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, uh, exist in um, in the Italian peninsula, and the reason that relationship has, comes into such a sharp focus is that uh, um, the major contribution that those communities, those Italian communities, have been making to the construction of the empire um, is becoming increasingly clear, increasingly apparent. Um, Under the obligation that was set upon them, those Italian communities had to provide, to supply Rome with soldiers um, and resources ahead of the military campaigns that Rome fought, right? That had been the case for, for decades, in some cases for centuries. So really, to, to a large extent, the Roman Empire had been built by Italian hands, right? If, if I can use the somewhat emphatic expression. Um, and, um, well, the rewards of the empire, though, were to a large extent funneled to Rome, to the city of Rome, and enjoyed, reaped by the Roman governing class, which to a large extent was uh, just uh, um, Roman, or anyway, did not really represent uh, in any in any meaningful way um, most of uh, most of Italy. It wasn't just about resources, though. It was also another very important level here: um, Roman citizenship and the privileges uh, and and the. And the protections that it entailed. Um, If you were a Roman citizen, you were, uh, to a large extent, protected from um, mistreatment or or abuse uh, from Roman magistrates. Um, And uh, you had, of course, the right to reside freely in uh, the city of Rome and to uh, carry out uh, uh, business with uh, your fellow Roman citizens. If you were not a Roman citizen, then, depending on what your legal status was, you were subject to a number of restrictions. And of course, you played no part in the political process. You, you, you played no part in the election of the magistrates. Uh, you played no part, really, in the decision-making uh, that went on at Rome, and that, of course, had uh, very significant implications on how things were run, not just in the city of Rome, but across Italy, and indeed, to some extent, across the empire. Um, so. Again, this uh, fundamental mismatch in, in status between Roman citizens and citizens of other communities uh, was becoming um, an increasingly um, significant and controversial political issue. The um, how do how do in contemporary times this this period? Um, who are the main writers that? people like you and other scholars have, have leaned on to be able to uh, understand and, and piece together uh, what, what occurred with the social war? Well, um, I suppose the key source, and the one that I would 
recommend uh, to, to our listeners really as the go-to place, um, at least if one is seeking a, a general introduction to and overview of the period, not just of the social war, but more widely of the period in which um, it uh, uh, occurred, uh, would be um, an author from the early, uh, from, from the imperial period, really from the early second century uh, CE, um, Appian of Alexandria. So uh, a Greek author, um, a Greek-speaking author, although one that was also uh, very much familiar uh, with, uh, um, with the way that the, the Roman government operated and then who knew Latin and, and knew indeed the city of Rome very well. Uh, Appian uh, from Alexandria, who wrote an account of the civil wars of the, of the late Republic, um, whose first book in particular is really one of the finest um, works, I suppose, in, uh, in ancient historiography. I would probably go as far as saying, uh, because it produces an extremely powerful, extremely compelling account of the economic and uh, social situation uh, in the peninsula, Italy, uh, between the second and the first centuries uh, BC, and, and really sets the outbreak of the civil wars that lead to the demise of the Republic against uh, uh, that um, economic and uh, uh, social background, which is something that you don't get that often to you in, in ancient historiography. Um, in fact, there's a, there's a famous letter of Karl Marx uh, to, to his uh, uh, friend and associate, Friedrich Engels, where Marx praises the uh, insight of, of Appian uh, into, uh, into economic and social matters. And indeed, he, he duly comments on the fact that you don't typically get that sort of uh, angle in, uh, um, in ancient in classical historiography. Um, Whatever your political persuasions might be, uh, the uh, first book of, uh, of Appian Civil Wars is a great read and is, is also a, uh, a central source um, on, the, on the social war. In fact, it provides a really the fullest, the fullest ancient account of that conflict. Um, there are also some uh, rather more fragmentary but, but, but also rather brilliant um, pages uh, in uh, um, or chapters, I suppose I should say, uh, using a more precise term, uh, in uh, um, the historical library, or library of history, of Diodorus of Sicily, or Diodorus Siculus, um, another Greek-speaking uh, author who uh, lives in the uh, Augustan period, who writes a universal history, uh, or at least a history of of the whole world as he as he knew it, as he thought of it. Um, some of that work does survive, and indeed the section of his account on the social war uh, provides some uh, very, very important, very valuable uh, information. Perhaps we, we come back to some of that later. There are some other very important discussions of, of aspects of the social world. War, there are, for example, some passages of, of Cicero's uh, work that are extremely informative. Um, there are bits of Plutarch's biographies of Marius and Sulla that are, again, very informative on the social war. But the two key accounts, really, are um, Appian and, uh, and Diodorus. We don't really get, as you will have, uh, as you will have clicked, but now, uh, we don't really get uh, contemporary accounts 
all accounts that you know even date say to the following generation to the generation immediately after the conflict uh, we know that many were produced many were produced it's, it's, yeah, the war was already recognized as a, as a major as a major development and um, was widely commented on but those accounts I'm afraid have gone lost okay yeah it sounds like the war is well documented but well documented it sounds like beginning it sounds sounds like if you're talking cicero uh, a few de- a few decades later and then certainly um more comprehensively documented a couple centuries later okay okay so we've covered okay so we've touched on the sources you mentioned resources and citizenship were two areas of contention. So what about the citizenship? So if you were to kind of, you know, get in the mind mindset of um, the city of Rome at that at that point in time, why, why, why do you think they wouldn't give citizenship to their allies on the peninsula? Well, because citizenship comes, of course, with rights, and indeed one could say also with privileges. Um, and, you know, enfranchising tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of people um, means that all of a sudden, or at least within a fairly short period of time, you're going to have lots of new voters, aren't you? Um, the whole dynamics, in other words, of political competition will, will change. And at the same time, of course, you will have lots of new people, lots of people that will have access to, to rights. For example, in, uh, when it comes to settling freely in the city of Rome, or indeed of having access to subsidized distributions of food, or indeed having access to uh, land distribution programs, right? So this is an issue that I, I suspect retains a great deal of significance um, in in our own time, doesn't it? At the moment, you uh, are looking at the possibility of widening um, access to rights. Um, You're going to have controversy. You're going to have political division. You're going to have some people that will oppose that uh, on grounds of principle and indeed on grounds of self-interest. And this is really what... uh, we see going on in the late second, early first century BC. Uh, there are at various points, even in the age of the Gracchi, really, um, people that advocate more or less explicitly the need to um, grant Roman franchise, the Roman citizenship, to uh, the uh, Italian allies. Um, and there are some people that oppose that proposition. There are people that oppose that proposition in Rome and also, also in so far as we uh, can, can see from some sources, among some Italian communities. Uh, it looks, for example, that uh, a number of Etruscan communities in Central Italy were not terribly keen on the idea of being given the Roman uh, franchise, the Roman citizenship. That, in other words, they uh, prefer the prospect of, a, of an unequal relationship uh, with Rome uh, to the idea of a complete 
inclusion or wholesale inclusion into the Roman political um, process. And they, they no doubt regarded um, the extension of, of the Roman citizenship uh, as, a, as a threat to um, a long-standing uh, tradition of local autonomy. Now, this, I think, actually, the, the, this whole discussion on, on the Roman citizenship and its extensions and, and whatnot uh, takes us uh, takes us really to the issue of the stakes of this conflict and, indeed, um, to the issue of uh, its uh, causes. And it takes us to an area of controversy among uh, modern historians, which, to some extent, I think, is... Uh, rooted in some fundamental inconsistencies uh, in the ancient tradition. Let me try and uh, mm -hmm. unpack it somewhat. Mm -hmm. uh, most modern accounts, to this day, uh, will uh, convey a rather straightforward story. And they will tell you that um, at some point in the late 90s BC, there seems to be the viable, the realistic prospect of uh, an extension of the Roman franchise, Roman citizenship, to the Italian allies, um, that there seems to be enough momentum for that uh, in Rome, uh, uh, that a tribune of the plebs in particular, a man called Livius Drusus, was very much behind that idea that he was going to to make that case to the Roman people and that he stood with a you know, fairly, fairly good chance of getting that passed. And that when uh, that proposal um, fails, and then Livius Drusus is assassinated in 91 BC, well, the Italians decided they've had enough. They decided that they've had enough, and they take military action against Rome in order to compel Rome to grant them citizenship, in order to uh, take revenge on what they regarded as a, as a slight, or indeed as a series of, of slights, um, towards them and to basically claim citizenship through military means. This is a very influential modern account and it's a modern account that is to a large extent based on the uh, on a certain reading at least of Appian, right? Of, of, of the first book of Appian's civil wars. Over the last uh, 20 years or so, this account has been um, challenged with, I think, some very uh, significant uh, and indeed compelling, compelling arguments. Um, some inconsistencies in the account of Appian and indeed of other of other authors have been uh, have been brought out, um, and um, I think attention has been drawn very effectively to a uh, rather um, fundamental point that I think until about twenty years ago or so had been. Um, either disregarded altogether or perhaps um, underestimated in its significance. The military action that the Italians take against the Rome is a major undertaking, a major strategic undertaking, an undertaking that must have taken a great deal of preparation that was funded by a huge raft of resources that was really backed by a major financial commitment of those uh, communities. And if, for example, we turn to the account of Diodorus, the, the Sicilian historian that I mentioned earlier, 
Um, we're actually told that the uh, communities that joined the uprising against, against Rome formed a federal structure. They actually set up a um, complex chain of command. They set up a capital um, in the city of Confinium in central Italy. Um, they uh, created a number of federal institutions. They created a joint treasury. Now, it doesn't strike you, if you look at Diodorus' account at least, as, you know, an uprising that uh, takes shape within a few weeks, <laughs> even days, in the immediate aftermath of the failure of uh, uh, Livius Drusus' proposal to grant the citizenship to the Allies. It really looks like something much bigger had been brewing for quite some time, and that actually the federal structure put together by the Italians didn't simply intend to persuade Rome the hard way, as it were, to give them the Roman citizenship. That perhaps actually something rather different was going on. And that perhaps actually what this federal structure was hoping to do, was hoping to achieve, was to create a wholesale new political and military balance in Italy, where Rome was no longer the dominant power. What we're actually looking at, perhaps, here is a, an attempt of a federal structure of communities formed by communities in central Italy uh, to become the new dominant power in the peninsula and to, if you wish, replace Rome as the hegemonic power in the Italian peninsula and possibly, and possibly beyond. It is also at this time that uh, the very concept of uh, Italy as a unified political organization emerges for the first time. We don't encounter it in uh, the literary evidence. We don't encounter it as such in the literary texts that tell us a bit about this conflict. But we encounter it on the coinage struck by the Italian allies. Quite a lot of it survives. Various types, various coin issues are, are known. We see that those coin issues carry sometimes legends in Latin. Sometimes they carry legends in Oscar, which was another language that was spoken and used across central and southern Italy at the time. And we find that both in Latin and in Oscan, the notion of Italia or Vitellio in Oscan uh, is deployed and indeed very much put forward as the unifying concept of this, um, of this anti-Roman coalition. So you, for the first time, you see Italy as a, as a political space, I suppose, right? And indeed, on some of those coins, you even find the, the, the earliest known personification of it. Right. A female head that is clearly a portrait of uh, uh, of Italia of of Italy. Um, so we're probably looking at something rather more rather more complex and indeed much more threatening, I suppose, from the Roman viewpoint than um, has often been uh, recognised. Were the Etruscans part of that coalition? They were not. Interestingly enough, they were not, neither were the Umbrians, uh, at least not in 91 BC. 
not when the not when the whole thing uh, starts. The whole thing flares up very much as a as I said, central southern Italian um, affair. I suppose for those among our listeners who are familiar with Italian geography, um, it would make I think very good sense if I say that it's a very much an Apenninic uh, affair. In other words, if you look at the sort of geography of the Italian peninsula, there is of course this chain of mountains that goes from sort of north south, the Apennines. Um, and it is really in the Apenninic heartlands, in central and southern Italy, all the way down into Campania, that the the, the nucleus, the, the, the hub of the uh, uprising is. Uh, and uh, the Etruscans and the Umbrians are not part of that coalition. Um, they don't actively support the Roman war effort either. They seem to be keeping a position of neutrality, from what, from what we can tell. Now, uh, some, some scholars have argued with, with good um, arguments um, that with, with good uh, um, reason that perhaps uh, actually the Etruscans at least lacked at the time the military capability and even perhaps the economic resources uh, to get uh, to get involved in, in the conflict. Um, others have argued that perhaps the Etruscans were sitting on the fence and that whilst they did not necessarily welcome the prospect of a um, of an enfranchisement of the extension of the Roman citizenship to them, they were um, not altogether hostile to the idea of an end of uh, Roman hegemony. Whatever the case might have been, they're not part of the uh, coalition at first, but then, and this is really the crucial turning point of the conflict, after a very difficult first year of the conflict, in which Rome has been facing a major challenge, major strategic challenge, um, Rome decides to offer the franchise, the citizenship, to those who have not joined the Italian coalition. And the Etruscans and the Umbrians, of course, are among the beneficiaries of that, of that proposal. Just at a time when, we are told by some sources, they are considering their options, right? They are considering whether perhaps, actually, the momentum of the war might, might have shifted um, towards the Italians and perhaps uh, joining their cause might be the best cause of action. So yes, we could say that perhaps the, the pendulum of the war is again sort of shifted in Rome's favour by the decision to grant citizenship to ultimately therefore cave in uh, and grant the citizenship to those who had remained neutral. And the Etruscans and the Umbrians are the beneficiaries of that uh, of that decision. But we actually know far less than we would like to know about uh, the Etruscans, the Umbrians, and indeed about the role of sort of individual ethnic groups, or let alone individual communities in this period. Because, and this is I think a crucial point, everything we know about this conflict, really, we know it from a, from a Roman standpoint, right? It's, 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 they're all stories that are told from a Roman standpoint. And the name of the war in itself, anyway, the name that we use to refer to the war is revealing, isn't it? The social war, the war against the Allies. Well, it's a bit like the Peloponnesian War, right? It already tells you what the viewpoint of your sources is. 
just as we think of the war between Athens and Sparta in the 5th century BC as the Peloponnesian War, the war against the Peloponnesians, because our key sources for it are Athenian. We think of this war as the war against the Allies, because the viewpoint of our sources is, is Roman. The um, yeah, and I find and I find that uh, with a yeah with a lot of uh, nomenclature and monikers and, and the name the naming of various things it yeah it appears that uh, wars often oftentimes get the the, the name of the uh, the other party um, other than the the, the uh, other than the one who, the, of the party that was actually doing the the writing of of the of the war. Yeah. Um, okay, so. What year was the coalition invented or approximately invented? The, the war starts in late 91 BC. So um, I think it's quite possible that the idea of, I think, I think it's entirely conceivable, actually, that the, the, some sort of anti-Roman strategy was already concocted in, uh, uh, in previous years, or possibly even earlier than that. But certainly the war starts in 91 BC. It takes up the best part of 90 BC, and it is only in 89, and it is only after the decision to extend the citizenship to those who had been kept neutral, quite, quite being staying neutral, uh, that Rome begins to really uh, shift the momentum and to obtain some um, very significant victories against the Italians. So it's only in 89, really. By the end of 89, early 88, the conflict is practically is practically over, and and uh, I suppose whilst uh, the challenge mounted by the Italian coalition was very strong in the early stages of the war, um, it was eventually undermined, fatally undermined, by two factors. On the one hand. Uh, the inability to make the anti-Roman coalition larger than it was at the start of the conflict. And uh, uh, secondly, I suppose, the inability to uh, sustain that level of intensity in uh, in the longer run, right? It, 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 I suppose the, the, the early stages of the offensive are extremely effective, they're extremely brutal, um, but the Italian coalition is clearly unable to uh, keep up that uh, um, rhythm, that, that pace in its in its uh, military uh, action, as the concept, as the conflict, excuse me, unfolds. Um, eventually, uh, by sort of eighty eight BC, um, Rome comes to the, uh, or at least the Roman, the Roman Senate, the Roman government class comes to the conclusion that even those who have taken military action against Rome will have to be included within the Roman citizen body. And that is ultimately the outcome that the social rule heralds. I don't think it was necessarily the outcome that the Italians were envisaging, at least the Italian coalition was envisaging at the start of the war, but that is what, what, eventually, what eventually happens. Um, what uh, we should, I think, though, uh, very much escape is the view that, you know, after two or three years of military conflict, there is a settlement that pleases everyone. Um, things were much messier than that. Um, 
the human and indeed economic uh, impact of that conflict was, was nothing short of awful. Um, looking at hundreds of thousands of, of dead on, on both sides. And we're looking at a legacy of, of devastation um, across the Italian countryside, and indeed also in, in, in the many towns and cities that had taken part in the conflict, um, that will uh, actually take years to, to, to overcome, to, to begin to overcome. Um, and we're also looking at the legacy of division across Italy uh, between Romans and non-Romans. That is not undone by the uh, Roman decision to extend the franchise to the, to the Italians. Um, so it's, it's in fact a, a major, a major shock, a major, major trauma. And of course, one that has <clears throat> wider, I guess, geopolitical consequences. It is a, as a result, as a direct result, I suppose, of the Roman involvement in Italy, in the Italian peninsula, uh, that King Mithridates in Asia Minor, King of Pontus, as he's referred to in the uh, Greek and Roman sources, decides to take action against Rome and decides to invade the Roman province of, of Asia, triggering, of course, uh, a major military conflict in the, in the Greek East, which uh, we discussed a bit in, uh, in the podcast on Sulla. Um, it's because Mithridates sees that there is a window of opportunity for him um, caused by Rome's involvement in Italy that um, the invasion uh, of the province of Asia takes place. So we were looking at a, at a, at a, major, at a major event um, when we consider the social war, and we're looking at an event that um, left a bitter legacy of devastation and, and resentment in, the, in, many, in many quarters. I want to ask Federico, for the sake of time, I want to ask a few rapid fire questions. If, yeah, if you have to expand, obviously, you know, expand, but if it's possible um, for the, for these next few to keep shorter for the sake of time, that would be great. And then I want, and I want to make sure, obviously we, we cover and you started, you, you, you started to cover it, the, the, the outcome. I want to make sure we're, we're kind of wrapping up in that sort of like, you know, so what, what's the, what's the short term and long term um, outcome of, of all these events. So, okay. So, so kind of the rapid fire segment here, uh, do you, as a scholar, do you consider the coalition, you, you mentioned the coalition was minting coins at, at one point, do you, do you consider it that it was a state? Uh, at, would you, would you call that coalition a state or, or would you not go that far? I wouldn't have a problem with calling it a state. Provided we are clear that you know it's not a state that has a complex bureaucratic structure like uh, you know the kingdom of uh, Louis XIV in, in France or you know nineteenth uh, century Prussia or, or whatever else, uh, whatever other modern state you might be thinking of. Provided we are clear that we're looking at a much lighter bureaucratic, administrative, to some extent military structure, and then yes, I really don't have a problem with uh, with the word state. Whether we're talking about the Italian coalition or indeed whether we're talking about uh, Republican Rome, um, this the Samnites and why why I asked because uh, I know there's a lot of different groups uh, in, in communities etc that that were were involved. Um, but the show has covered the the Etruscans actually. I think yesterday an episode was published on the ancient um, Etruscans with Dr. Alexandra Carpino. 
Um, and then, uh, and then a few weeks ago, the, the ancient Samnites, um, were the Samnites involved in any way? Were they part of the, uh, the coalition or, or, or not? Absolutely. That's very much the centerpiece of it. Uh, or one of the centerpiece of it. Yes, absolutely. And Sam means to a large extent the hotbed of the, uh, of the insurrection. So yes. Um, and they are indeed uh, among the last ones to surrender. Um, at least some of them, some Samnite communities will keep fighting um, until till eighty seven, really. Um, so yes, absolutely, we're looking at a at a very much uh, a very strong Samnite contribution to the Italian Italian war, war effort. And indeed, you know, one of the main sides, I suppose, of the uh, uprising is a city, a town that at this point is very much sunlight, uh, culturally, linguistically, uh, and that we then later on come to think of as the quintessential Roman town, which is Pompeii. Which until, you know, 80 BC or thereabouts, is very much a sunlight community. Okay. And... Um... For everyone listening, because um, I realize when I say yes yesterday, it depend it depend that's that's probably um, not going to be perfectly easy if someone is looking for the Etruscans uh, episode because this recording, um, the date of the recording is going to be different from when it is published. So just for clarity for everyone listening, uh, July seventh, twenty twenty one, that episode on the ancient Etruscans was uh, published with Dr. Alexandra Carpino of uh, Northern Arizona University in the U.S. Um, okay, last last question, Federico, for the uh, the rapid fire uh, s- segment. Um, do you, as a scholar, consider this a civil war or or not? Much as uh, it's important to recognize that some uh, ancient sources did think of it, some ancient authors did think of it as a civil war. Appian, for example, who includes the social war in his account of the civil war. Civil wars. Uh, I do not think of the social war as a civil war. Um, it's um, a war between Rome and some non-Roman communities that are very much not communities of Roman uh, citizens, and whose aim, as I've tried to uh, argue earlier on, is perhaps actually not not even that of getting included into the Roman citizen body. So I think it's best to think of the social war as a as an external war. Which has major political consequences, of course, uh, in Rome, both in the short term and in the longer term. It changes completely, of course, the relationship between Rome and the Italian peninsula, and it changes the shape of the Roman citizen body. Okay, so let's go there for the closing question then. And you did you did start on it the the outcome. Can you can you uh, in in closing share how this this war with the long term implications that this war had on the uh you could either take it you know from the italian peninsula perspective or you could take it from the 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 roman republic soon to be roman empire perspective or both yeah well very briefly i'm just going to sort of fast forward to 50 years or so after the end of the conflict uh when octavian gets ready to fight the um civil war, that certainly was a civil war, uh, with Mark Antony, uh, although it also had 
you know, Cleopatra in the picture, and she was very much a, a foreign, a foreign queen. Um, he presents himself as the champion of Roman traditional values, but also as the champion, the defender of Italy. And he makes a great deal uh, of um, noise on the fact that um, Italy, as as a whole, has sworn allegiance to him. Um, and that really he's going to fight that civil war as the uh, leader, patron of uh, um, Rome, but more widely of Italy. Octavian, in other words, has come to the conclusion that uh, there is, must be complete, uncontroversial, unfettered um, solidarity between Rome and Italy. So within just over half a century, you get a situation of uh, uh, deep integration between, between Rome and Italy. And that is very much an outcome, it takes a couple of generations to achieve, of the settlement that occurs at the end of the social war, when the Roman franchise is gradually, but nonetheless, extended to the uh, communities of uh, Peninsula Italy. And quite simply, the shape and outlook of Roman politics changes, changes for good. The dynamics of political competition change. Access to power and competition for power change beyond recognition. So it's a short war, but it's one that has a major historical implications. It is always a pleasure chatting with you, Federico. Thank you for coming on the show again. My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed. So again, everybody, the couple of books that I mentioned at the start of the episode, uh, the first one was uh, The Peoples of Ancient Italy. Dr. Santangelo contributed a chapter two. Again, that's relevant, particularly to this um, conversation in that uh, Dr. Santangelo, although the, the book's on ancient Italy, so more broadly, it sounds, sounds um, relevant. But in particular, Dr. Santangelo uh, wrote a chapter on the social war in that book. Um, he's also author of Marius, which was published by Bloomsbury. I'll drop links to both the books in the show notes on the Ithacabound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Federico and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.